Welcome to Power to Speak, the podcast. I'm Jackie Goddard, and it's my mission to help people market themselves effectively and show up powerfully for their audience by using their voice and their story to share their message and ideas. Not only does the podcast allow me to talk to interesting, inspiring and successful individuals, but it gives me and you, dear listener, the opportunity to learn from the best. Whether business or thought leader, entrepreneur or author, what's been their journey and how have they used their voice and their story to create that success? My guest today is Johnny Ball. And Johnny has very, very kindly sent me over an introduction that I can actually read from a sheet, which I love because introductions are my worst. So I'm going to go ahead with this, if that's okay, Johnny, yeah. uh, before we introduce you completely. Uh, this is about Johnny. Johnny Board is the host of Speaking Influence, the podcast about the psychology and application of influence and persuasion in life and business. He's a persuasive pre presentations coach, a professional speaker on topics like podcasting for thought leadership, ethical persuasion, and how to get your message noticed. An online coach and course creator, 12 years coaching and training with T. Harv Ecker. He's president of a business networking club in Valencia, a leader and speaker within the Toastmasters organization, an entertaining and engaging guest with many stories and a wide range of life experiences. He says he's got a great radio voice and face, likes to keep things light and fun with laughter, although can be serious and surprisingly profound. It does happen. Yeah, yeah. It does happen. I mean, th I mean, th that is the best, isn't it? Just to, to <laughs> be able to write your own introduction, to have it all in there and not have someone like me ineptly just tripping over words. Oh, no, you, you, uh, you, you, your voice has a lovely uh, resonance to it and gravitas. You made me sound quite the authority, so I, I, I'm impressed. Uh, Thank you. Yes. No, I think you are an authority. And I, and I have to say, Johnny, I'm just so pleased to have you on my podcast because I feel like a complete newbie and a complete amateur in, uh, in comparison to yours. So let's start with that. Let's tell us a little bit about the podcast, uh, which, mm. you know, is, is present influence. And, and, and what is it? What is it about? What is that you that you podcast about? So the the show is called Speaking Influence, and uh, it, it's ah. ultimately a, about influence and persuasion in life and business. It's that's not exactly how it started off, though. I have two really big interests in life, and, and one of them is public speaking and presentation skills. So I love doing all of that. It's a big passion, and I also have a deep fascination in the psychology of influence and persuasion, and have spent years learning about this, and still do. I always am finding new things to learn and new understanding and there's always research going on in these areas as well which is uncovering new understandings and more uh, more things about uh, that i can take advantage of and learn and hopefully pass on and teach for other people so the show really is a resource for people to come and learn how to use ethical influence and persuasion and it is important to say ethical influence and persuasion because a lot of people associate influence and persuasion with manipulation and with yeah. getting people to do things that they don't want to do and that's not what we're about however a big part of the show for me is being able to help people understand how how these things work so that you can also notice when people are using them in ways that are unethical and hopefully protect yourself from it too so it has two sides to it we do look at the white arts and the dark arts of influence and persuasion uh, for the educational side and really what i want people to be able to do is put good out into the world with these tools which is what they really are designed for and use good ethics and ecology behind them yeah so tell us a little bit then about the the, the dark versus the light of influence <laughs> and persuasion i mean it, it it as you say it does kind of sound a, a little bit scary when you when you feel like you are um influencing people on purpose you know is is kind of as you said in that manipulation way so how how do you do that ethically there are different elements and levels of this so we've all probably come across this idea of the pushy salesperson or the dodgy or sleazy salesperson and this is one of the reasons why a lot of people have a lot of stuff around sales and they don't really like sales and they think oh no I hate sales I don't want it because that's what they associate with it these people who are just not very ethical and they're just trying to sell you something and they'll say whatever it takes to get you to buy something 
and they'll try and manipulate you into that. Now, on some levels, that's fairly harmless. On some levels, that can actually get people to spend money that they don't want to or end up buying rubbish that they don't really need uh, and not getting the best deal. It goes deeper than that, though, because often we are convinced into things that we would be better off not being convinced into. Um, cults would be one example of this, and that's probably where we get to the more extreme levels. We hear about mind control all the time when people are worried about that and don't necessarily know how it works. And we've maybe seen films where it gets very misrepresented as to how mind control really works and that you could actually get people to do things that you want to do, like hypnosis doesn't really do all of that. You know, it's, it's a much deeper level. But there are ways of getting people to conform into certain cultures and groupings like cults. Uh, not just cults, there are business cults, there are political cults, there are organisations or groupings where people get so um, so fixed on an ideology and so fixed into the ways and practices of the group and get all their information from the group and get all of uh, exactly what they're told to do, where they spend all their time, is all tied in with that and it ends up taking over their lives. That's probably yeah. not good. I don't think any of us would think that is healthy. But the reality is if you don't know how these things work, you also don't know how to protect yourself from them. Because we all think, oh, I, I'd never do that. I'd never get into something like that. And that is dangerous thinking. Because if you think that, but you don't actually know how any of that works, you already are susceptible to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you're just putting me in mind there of, uh, of the rhetoric of, of people like, you know, maybe uh, Donald Trump or some of the bigger influencers, you know, and politicians in the world that have somehow have a, a way of speaking that is, you know, can be seen as quite manipulative yeah. and you know they, they create great followings by there, by there are a lot of cult-like elements to, to what trump does in fact there's a really good book on the cult of trump by stephen hassan who is uh is now a doctor of psychology and uh, he escaped from the moonies cult years ago and he now helps other people to escape from that as well but he did a deep dive analysis into the cult-like nature of everything that Trump says and the whole um, ecosystem around him. But you're yeah. right to say rhetoric as well, because there are these uses of rhetoric, with specific uses of language that are dehumanizing, that are um, controlling narratives uh, in ways that make things that are actually very unpalatable sound quite palatable and are enraging and angering people and dividing groups specifically for political gain and political purposes. And if we don't understand how those things are operating, we end up getting divided. We end up being uh, people who are either, either suffering from it, either because our friends and family don't want to talk to us because we're in, into that, or, um, or we don't want to talk to our friends and family because they're into it. And the divisions just get deeper and deeper from there. Yeah, well, that that is obviously the the deeper, darker side, and you know there is a there's a lot of that sort of within social media, and you know we've seen all that within you know the anti-vaxxers and the conspiracy theories that are going on all around us. Yeah. Um, but let's get on to the onto the good side. How can we influence and become good influencers for good? What do you, what do you what do you say to people to to help them put their message across and and do good in the world? The first thing is to have your message. You need to know what good you want to be putting out into the world. And it doesn't have to be completely fixed. You might not have the best idea of that, but you know that you want to do good. You know that you want to have a positive influence on things. That's a great place to start. But as you do start to get clearer as you progress with that as to what that message is going to be, when you understand things like utilising rhetoric and utilising public speaking and video and podcasts and all these tools for being out in the world having your voice heard by people and to be able to communicate in ways that are not just clear but also confident and emotional and really show people that you have a passion for what you're talking about then you start to get into this level of believability where it's just um, people will listen to what you're saying and, and take notice of you and a lot of that comes from your own personal confidence so going back to the podcast, how how did the podcast start for you? For you, did it was it something that came out of this psychology and this kind of thought around influencing? Was it was it something that started from there, or it's, was it something a, other? Yeah, it's a mixture of things. To be honest with you, Jackie, it's a mixture of things. So uh, I I am what we could call a, a frustrated actor. You know, I did drama and think music at, at university and stuff, and so there's a performer inside of me. But I didn't have the heart to go through and be 
make that my life you know I, it wasn't really what I wanted enough to do that so that part is always there it's still with me now and I got into public speaking probably about 15 years ago or so and, and just fell in love with it really really enjoyed it and started doing it and started getting involved with Toastmasters and things like that and started doing different public speaking trainings and that developed alongside my interest and passion for uh, psychology of influence and persuasion as well. Now I started my first podcast back in 2012 and maybe did about, I think I did about eight or ten episodes or something like that and then it just sort of disappeared, <laughs> disappeared off the tracks and uh, I, lost, I lost interest in it and it was early days in podcasting, no one was really listening to it anyway I think maybe some of them had five or six downloads or something like that nothing much happened but then it came up as an option to do in my Toastmasters club here in Valencia where I live and I just thought oh there's only one of the options maybe that's what I'll do I'll start a podcast and and I didn't know that I was going to continue doing it but I thought it would be a fun project so I did and I thought it only made sense for me to do a show that was going to be about my two biggest passions which were public speaking and presentation skills and tools of influence and persuasion and that's where it started and uh, almost two years later it's still going. Yeah fabulous I mean it and and and, it, and I know we've had a conversation before that it's it's kind of you are in Valencia anyway I am in the UK uh, but in in lockdown and maybe this happened to, for you before that that everything's kind of gone global so have you found that more over the last year or so that uh, that you're reaching further I I am perhaps in a, an enviable enviable position to some people in that most of my work has been remote and online since around 2012 maybe even a bit before that so I I did not need to be based in one specific location and other than some public speaking work and some seminars and and live events most of what I do has been online. So I was already very prepared and set up for that. Um, although I would admit, even for me, you know, the, the massive increase in the amount of Zoom meetings that I started having with people started get, getting to me after a while. I got some Zoom fatigue as well. But I was already very well set up for doing online events, webinars. The, the podcast was already running long before the uh, pandemic started. And so everything was already happening online. For me, yeah. it wasn't a transition period. Um, it really was just, uh, for me, it ended up being an opportunity to focus even more on those things without other activities taking my attention away from it. So the bigger problem for me was adjusting back afterwards and trying to add those things, real life things back into my life and keep yeah. time for everything. Yeah, I mean, you seem to have a, a few, uh, hats that you have with the online courses with you know the, the courses that you have on your website and uh, the the podcast plus the speaking how do you manage to to juggle all those things and how do you manage to deliver your your message con consistently across all of those platforms um, I'm not altogether sure I manage it consistently across all, mm. all, all of those <laughs> to be honest I, I attempt to um, it, it all comes down to prioritization I was lucky that you know I started doing the work with Harvecker a long time ago, and so that very much is just a continuation of things that I've been doing for years. I don't have to give it too much attention, and I don't have to do um, huge amounts of preparation or anything like that for it. I'm very familiar with all the content that I deliver there, and I'm very you know, have some amazing clients who I work with um, in ways that I'm very familiar in working with people. So for, for me, that is an easier part of my life that I don't have to give huge amounts of additional work to. So everything else kind of goes on top of that. The podcast goes on top of that. The online, my own online courses and programs, my own speaking and stuff is all on top of that. And splitting time between all of those, I admit is very challenging and I just do the best I can. That, that's really yeah. it. I try, I try to do what I can reasonably do. And sometimes I do have to say no to things. And that, that's often the hardest thing to get myself to do. Is yeah. some, some things are just great opportunities and I can't say no to them. But some things I just can't fit into. I just don't have the capacity to add them into my, my weeks. And it's lovely being busy doing the stuff that you love doing. But there is still a limit to how much you can actually do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I find that is, you know, I love doing the podcast 
but yes, it's 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 how much time it takes versus how much you get back from it. So, you, have you you managed to? Uh, it sounds very rude to ask, but have you managed to monetize the podcast um, in, in because of the time it takes? I mean, certainly with the with me doing my podcast, I do it really at the moment because I love talking to people and I love finding out about what they do. Um, but yeah. it would be great to have some advice from you as to how that kind of then progresses or develops. Sure. So even even if you have a new show, you probably should still be thinking about setting it up for monetization. And even shows with smaller audiences have the potential for monetization. So I have a few channels through which, uh, through which I have that available. One is that people can buy me a coffee for $5 a month, or people can sign up to a membership level for my show, which uh, for 15 US dollars a month, they get some, they get exclusive invites to join, join me live in the virtual studio with my guests. So depending on what the topic is gonna be, they're gonna get advanced notice of what we're gonna be talking about. And they can come and join us live and potentially have the opportunity to have their questions put to the guests as well. Um, so so those are just that's just one monetization option. Um, the other ones would be if you are someone who has your own products and services, if, for example, you have online courses and the likes, then it would really only make sense, especially if your podcast is related to the stuff that you do, that you promote that as a, as a pre-roll or mid-roll ad in your show, that you have an advert for your own stuff. And even at this age, you go on other people's podcasts and they maybe they come on yours, like, we, like we're doing, right? Um, you can set up with another podcast and say, hey, look, I, I have uh, an ad that I have for my, stuff, for my show. Would you run an ad for my show on your podcast? And whilst you do that, I'll run an ad for your show on my podcast. And then you cross promote with each other's audiences. So I think you definitely want to be looking for those ways to build audience, but also you want to be looking for those opportunities to monetize. And most people are not really going to be looking at sponsorship until until you really get into the top 1% or higher of podcasts globally, where you're getting 10,000 plus downloads an episode. And most shows are not getting that. Like the average number of downloads for a podcast, for the average podcast, is about 25, 26 downloads an episode. That's a huge difference to the 10,000 or 100,000 plus that uh, people would be looking for for sponsorship deals and things so that doesn't mean you can't still monetize you can have affiliate things you know i i get book recommendations from people so i put links to my amazon affiliates up there for any books that get recommended on the show um there's all those kinds of things that can potentially add income to to your show and but i do think if anyone is doing a podcast uh, and you'll hear this said amongst the podcast community worldwide if your primary reason for doing a podcast is monetization, you're in the wrong game because mm. it takes a long time to monetize a podcast and, and it's not easy. There are easier ways. There are quicker ways. YouTube channels are probably a lot quicker to monetize than podcasts. So, so podcasting is a long game um, and it's a very intimate format to connect with people, often much more so than, than video can be. But uh, if monetization is the primary objective, uh, I recommend trying something else because you will end up getting frustrated and not sticking with podcasting. Um, but if monetization is a byproduct of that and something that you are willing to put off and you'll keep doing it anyway because you love doing the podcast, then great. Hopefully it will be something that eventually starts to allow you to support the show and to uh, to batch out some of those jobs that take up a long time so that you can focus more on the content creation rather than the production yeah. and editing side. Yeah. Yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant. That's that's exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it, it, just the the uh, the fact that the average downloads uh, are twenty five. That's that makes me feel great. So I'm 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 in the right ballpark. Um, and as I say, you know, most people I would hope start a podcast because they're talking to people that they are interested in and that you know have have something positive to say. So yeah. exactly why I do it. It, yeah, it's, it's important to know uh, because it, because it's such a long game. Most people, when they start a podcast, don't know any of this stuff. I didn't when I started. It's all things I've learned along the way. But when you start to know things like it takes on average about two years to really get the show to a level where it's starting to get decent downloads and, and getting to that tipping point of audience build, that really is a long game. And although two years, when we just say it, doesn't sound like a long time, 
week by week it is <laughs> it's a long time to see those uh, to see those download stats not being not going up very high to not be seeing the interaction in those early days from your audience but when that starts to come when you start seeing the interaction when you start people seeing people sharing your show out when you start learning more about podcasting as as an art form really because it is mm. it's, a, it's a medium yeah. and it's an art there's an art to it as well you get better and better at it but if you can actually make it to those two years and beyond you've got a very good chance of getting into those top percentiles like my show is in the top 10 globally which which sounds impressive but to podcasters who've been around a while it's not so it's uh, it just means i've been going for a long time and i've been consistent uh, and i have yeah. decent downloads but uh, you know i'm still not at the, that those high levels yet but i know that yeah. i'm capable of that and that the show the show is as well so long as i stick with it and, yeah. and that's the hardest part is st- sticking with it and keeping going even when it gets challenging or even when you feel yeah. like throwing in the towel yeah so what what would you say is your biggest uh your biggest learn from from what from the last two years what's your oh, wow. or, or your your you know your what you've learned most or most valuable well, it d- depends uh, it depends on what aspect i mean if you mean like personally about myself that would be very different to what i've learned sort of professionally um so i can tell you both if you want yes tell us both <laughs> Okay, so for for me personally, it has been a lesson in patience, and and so much of life is. Um, the the thing is, most people say some things like when you start a business for them, uh, and like it can take up to three years to make that business profitable, and most people don't want to hear that thing. Oh, I can make it profitable in weeks or months, and yet realistically, most people can't. The the reality ends up being it can take up if you, especially if you do things officially properly it can take up to three years to actually make your business fully profitable doesn't mean that you're not going to be making any money it just means you know you might you might just be sort of just get making enough to to live you might be getting by for a while before it really starts to get up to those higher levels but most people aren't prepared to wait for those kinds of results and so you this has been been a lesson for me in terms of you have to want you have to want it more than you want to quit it almost yep. rhymes. <laughs> you have to want yep. it more than you want to quit, uh, and and that is that is a big thing because otherwise, when things do get challenging, when you're not seeing your figures go up in the right direction, when you're not seeing the monetization come through, you're not seeing the interaction, all those things that podcasters want to see from their audiences, it gets disheartening, and you think, why am I doing this? Why am I carrying on? Who am I doing this for? If you can't be in the place where it's like, well, even if I'm getting two or three downloads and they're in, and those are people who are enjoying the show it is worth doing if i'm enjoying it and they're enjoying it i will keep going because in time a handful of loyal listeners are going to tell other people about it other people who will share their interests and, and share your show and that might get you that might start to double your numbers and that might continue to double and double it just takes such a long time but it's absolutely worth waiting for so in a on a personal level it is working from that playing the long game of, of going for those. You have to look for the future long-term rewards and place that much higher than the immediate gratification and trust that it's out there. So on a, yeah. on a personal level, that's particularly important. And what's that? That is kind of a professional lesson as well. But the biggest professional lesson that I've learned from all of this and, and probably the biggest thing I've got from podcasting that I never had before I started it has been building a connected and generous and, and delightful network of podcasting friends. And the, the networking through podcasting, if I'd known about that, you know, it's something I would advise anyone to do podcasting just for that one aspect. <laughs> yes. Because just the people you get to meet, the vast majority of people are doing podcasts because because they care about their topic. They care about something. Maybe that's an entertainment thing they care about. Or maybe it's politics. Maybe it's comedy. Maybe it's influence and persuasion. Maybe it's public speaking. Whatever it is, they care about their topic and they care about their audience and they want to explore these things well and they want to discuss it with interesting people. And they're not really in it because they want to say, I want to make as much money from this as I can for for the most part. So you don't really get too many of those kind of cynical money grabbing people because as I said before, it's such a long game in podcasting. It's not a big money 
thing straight away. It takes too long for the people who want the get-rich-quick stuff to to stick around. So that's a good thing and a bad thing because it means yeah. that the people who are in it for the wrong reasons probably won't stick around very long and they'll be gone very quickly. And the people who are hopefully will push through those tough times and, and stick with it and put good out into the world. But they'll also meet and connect with lots of amazing people. And I've made so many wonderful friend, friends through podcasting and have such a, a valuable network of people. We all help each other out. Most of the people who I speak to on my show, I could go to outside of the show and just say, hey, remember when we had that chat? And nearly all of them will say the same thing. I often say to people, if there's anything else I can help you with outside of this, or you want to have a chat about any stuff, drop me a line, get in touch. That's part of what I'm here for. Yeah. because we genuinely want to help yeah brilliant well that's great i feel part of that network now Absolutely you are brilliant. part of that network <laughs> by, by deciding by deciding to start a podcast you have become part of that network yeah fabulous so so what would be the dream then for you you know in in say five years time it would it be that the podcast is is the is the main thing or is the podcast still there to kind of promote the other things that you do mm. it's an interesting one yeah um, i would love to spend my time podcasting professionally I, if if the podcast was making the kind of income that allowed me to do more podcasting more of the time without having to worry too much about other stuff i would spend most of my time podcasting because i absolutely love it um but i also love helping other people start their podcasts so I've been doing coaching now with people to plan and launch their shows and working with people to help them on marketing and monetization strategies. And I honestly love that. I get I get invited now to speak all over the place. In fact, I'm speaking at the end of this month at the PodFest Festival. Um, it's online, it's going to be an online event uh, for PodFest. I'll give you the information if you want to let other people know about it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to be given a, a presentation about influence and persuasion for podcasters. But at many of the other events I talk about, uh, I get invited to go and speak about podcasting and why I think people should start podcasts, especially if they're looking to become thought leaders in their industry, if they're looking to have their voice heard. Seth Godin, the godfather of marketing, says that podcasting is the new blogging. This is the place for thought leadership. And, and I believe him too. Pat Flynn's out there saying the same thing. I'm saying the same thing. Many people out there saying podcasting. There's no other platform where you could get 30 minutes, 45 an hour, where you are in somebody's earphones, earbuds or headset, whispering directly into their ears with your yeah. conversations and getting to spend that amount of quality time with people where you talk about the stuff that you love and, and set yourself up as an authority, whether that's as a show host or whether it's as being a guest on other people's shows. Yeah. Podcasting is a very, very powerful medium that is only growing. It is becoming a bigger and bigger medium as more people come to it, more celebrities are starting podcasts, which means that more people are aware that podcasting is there and tuning into them to hear their celebrities that they like, yeah, but also yeah. they're discovering these other podcasts as well that are out there. We're not ending here, just taking a quick break to remind you that you are listening to Power to Speak, the podcast with my guest, Johnny Ball. We'll be back with Johnny after we hear from our friend, fellow podcaster and master of verbal communication, Andrew Thorpe. We're all in the persuasion business, whether that's pitching to a potential client, selling ourselves in a job interview, or convincing a teenager to tidy their room. How we frame our message and how we deliver it makes all the difference. And this is the theme of my podcast, Leaning Forward. I'm Andrew Thorpe. I'm a speaker, a trainer, and a storyteller. And I'd love you to tune in to our latest episode. When I, when I started this one uh, a, a, almost a year ago now, I was the first question I asked to other people that were podcasting was, do you think there's too many? I mean, is, is the market saturated? And here we are a year later, and there seems to be even more. But as you're saying, it's it's almost a, a, another way of promoting, another way of influencing, another way of, of putting what it is that you do out there. So is, yeah. is, can there be too many? <laughs> I, I don't think so. Uh, and here's, here's why. Um, 
the bit, I mean, you, you may know this, but before before the pandemic and stuff, there was around a bit, there was over a million podcasts out there. But since since the pandemic, and the last time I checked, and I haven't checked the statistics all that recently, there's, there's over 2 million. So I know there's, a, I can safely say there's over 2 million podcasts. However, uh, estimates are that between 50 and 75% of those are active and, and the rest aren't. So, so that really is around like uh, 75,000 podcasts or less that are active podcasts, active shows that are consistently putting out regular episodes. That's not that big. When you compare that to, what is it, something like 32 million YouTube channels or, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, five, five million plus blogs, um, it's not a lot. It's no, not a lot. No. So, so no. Um, and also for the thing of like some people will do shows that are for a specific topic and then they'll do that and they'll stop it. Uh, some people will do a show that's just to promote one one thing or that they'll it'll run its course very quickly. Most podcasters don't actually ever make it past six or seven episodes uh, before they decide that it's not worth the bother and, and quit. And uh, so those podcasters who actually continue on past that and maybe make it like you make it to a year is a big achievement jackie and yeah. making it yeah. to two years is a big achievement making it beyond that is is bigger and bigger achievements um they are achievements and, and they are testaments to to your stick with itness uh, and your the, the audience will come you have to trust that it's it's out there you'll find your audience you'll find your voice through podcasting and all of that will come and the longer you stick with it, the more that will build up. So your audience is not all of the podcasting listenership. Your audience is the people who listen to podcasts who like the kind of stuff that you talk about, the way that you talk about it. And those people will tell other people like that about you. And they might come and discover podcasts and discover you and your show as well. Whereas other people, you know, many other podcast listeners are going to go and discover other shows that, that aren't yours or uh, have other interests that don't relate to what you talk about. Um, is there, you know, we could say, are there too many books? You know, there's lots of, lots of yeah. books around the same topics, lots of people talking about the same things, but everybody is saying something different in a different way. Everyone is relating to audiences in a different way. Everyone has their own experience and levels of expertise to bring to the table as well that is different to someone else's uh, and some that people will connect with and some that people won't. And uh, different people will connect with the different things. So it, could there be too many podcasts? I don't think so. I don't think so. No. We're, ne we're never no. going to get to a point where everyone's going to have their own podcast, even though it might sometimes feel like that, because uh, because most people won't stick with it long enough. And that, that's the reality of life. You know, one of the reasons why most people yeah. don't have what they want isn't, isn't always that they don't know what they want. That's a big part. But the bigger part is they don't stick with it long enough. They give up before they get any, you know, get yeah. any real progress with it. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think it is, uh, there's a certain art to making, certainly making a show of a podcast, you know, making it interesting enough. I mean, obviously, you have a very, very specific theme, as I did when I very first started mine. Mine was all around creativity and how you could use creativity for your business. Um, and yours is obviously very much around public speaking and influencing uh, and, and presentation. Yeah. So how do you find your guests? Do you go and find them or do they come and find you? It's a mix, but, but I, I will say this, since I focused my show to being much more about the psychology and application of influence and persuasion, my audience numbers have grown significantly because it's a much, much clearer niche of what we talk about on the show. And whilst that still incorporates public speaking or these other things, people are much clearer what the show is actually about and they have a much better idea of that's what they want to listen to. So if, if your show description is too vague, people don't really get what you're going to be talking about, yeah. then they don't know why they should listen to it. But that also gives me uh, a much better clue for who I should be bringing on the show, who I should be speaking to. And I want to speak to people who have something to add. I don't want to speak to people where I'm having the same conversation all the time with different people. So I might speak to a lot of different public speakers, but I'm not going to speak to them about exactly the same things. Some of the same things may come up because there are always things you're going to hear. Um, but you know there are always different ways of expressing it. There are always different questions you can ask and different things to explore. So... From, from that perspective, I want to speak to, as, as I do this on the show, public speakers, psychologists. Um, I've spoken to people in the Secret Service. I've spoken to people who've escaped from religious cults. Uh, you know, I, I want to talk about all these different aspects of influence and persuasion. 
And so if I, if I get an application for someone who wants to be on the show from someone who has nothing to say on influence and persuasion, I'm going to turn it down. Now, yeah. even, even if they have a huge following, I'm going to turn it down because they, they're not relevant to what the show is about. And that doesn't serve me or the audience. It might look very tempting when they have the, the vanity metrics that have you know, got all these following. And it's like, yeah, but if you're not relevant to, to my show or my audience, I don't know what we're going to talk about. And I don't want to have people on my show just because they can, have, they can talk about their thing, but it, they're not actually relevant to what my show is about. So I think it's very important to... Uh, stay true to what your show is about. So there are times when I find people who um, I, I just see them, like I read their books or I see content they're posting online or they connected to someone I know and they seem very relevant people. And then a lot of the time there are people who have been on the show or listened to the show or know that I do the show who connect me with people they say would be a good guest, which is how we got in touch, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then there are people who are on the podcast connector channel. So there are LinkedIn groups, Facebook groups, there's Matchmaker FM, there's Podbooker, Podmatch, all these pod casting service that has services that are like dating sites for podcasters to match up shows and guests yeah and and they yeah. can be a great place as well and they can also be a great place to get lots of applications from people who aren't a good fit and that's why it's so important to know what you want to talk about and be very specific about that and know who is the right kind of guest for your show and who isn't yeah no that's 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 great advice for me actually because I do feel like I'm at that point now where I need to hone down because people are kind of coming out of the woodwork and wanting to be a guest which is fabulous you know the fact that they actually want to is great but you're you're absolutely right I need to be uh, you know sort of looking at people that are relevant to what it is that I'm talking about yeah, but you know, don't, don't fall in. Just want to say for you, for you personally, for anyone who's listening, who, who's down this path or thinking of going down this path, don't get too hung up on it either. It doesn't need to be perfect all the time. I have recorded and even put out shows with guests who were not a great fit for the show, and I've also recorded shows that I haven't put out with people where it just hasn't gone well or, or just decided actually that's just so not relevant to to the show and things like that. Sometimes you're going to end up recording stuff that isn't great. And but sometimes it, just because it's not great doesn't mean you shouldn't still put it out. It's all part of your evolution and your process to development. I would say, though, if it's actually just a bad show, um, I would be thinking <laughs> it would be in two minds as to whether to whether to actually publish it, because it's going to be sat there as part of your listeners. And, and your listenership might be uh, for, even if it's a small listenership, might listen to it, I think what on earth are you putting that you know what happened yeah. here what, what went wrong um but for you it's useful uh, and so we shouldn't look at any of this as mistakes it's all part of your learning journey yeah have you done that have you had to oh, go yeah. back to somebody and say i'm not i'm not putting that out do you do you do you take a, tell little white lies and, and give excuses <laughs> uh no sometimes like, i've done both approaches um, at first, I, I was very honest about it and I told people exactly why I wasn't putting it out. So uh, without naming any names, and it's very unlikely the people that this happened with would be uh, tuning into this. But um, one person, she started talking about all of this um, sort of law of attraction and spirituality stuff, which is fine, but it's not what I'm into and it's not what my show's about. And uh, you know, I, I'm not a very sort of spiritual woo-woo kind of person. So I'm just listening to thinking, this is kind of crap, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but also the, the way she was speaking was really patronizing to the audience, like, oh. a, like a school teacher talking to a, um, a nursery child, a nursery group of children. Uh, it was it was very condescending and um, and talking at rather than talking with. And so those things just me think I can't put that episode out. It, it stinks. It, as an episode for me, yeah. it stinks, and I'm not comfortable with it. And then I had another guy who uh, was in my business network <laughs> and uh, asked to be a guest on my show. And it seemed like we had, when we when we had a pre show pre show chat, it seemed like he was going to be a great guest. But I couldn't get him to get to the point on one single thing he talked about through the whole interview. And it just, it was all just vague. Like he had some yeah. great ideas, but none of it was clear. And I said to him afterwards, I just don't think you are advanced enough with this and that you even know enough about what this is yet for me to be able to put it out and for it to look good for you, let alone for, for me on my show. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, uh, yeah, now I just tend to say things like, oh, you know, there's a problem with the recording. I shouldn't be telling you this. It's like, <laughs> sorry, Jackie, I'm not picking out. There's a problem with the recording. Uh, no. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm gi giving away giving away my secrets. Um, but yeah, I'll say there's a problem with the recording or something like that. Um, uh, but yeah, there are episodes where which I thought were going to be great, and um, you know, a lot of times we'll do swaps with people. I'll come on their show, they'll come on mine, and we'll have a great chat when I'm on their show, and they come on mine, and they give monosyllabic answers. Uh, they bad rapport or something like coming in a bad mood I, I don't know but something just goes wrong and yeah. it's like okay I'm not putting that out you know so it does it can end up feeling like a bit of a bit of time wasted um but still better not to put that stuff out if you're really not happy with it yeah good advice so let's let's go back to the beginning Johnny what did you want to be when you grew up Oh, a, a ballerina, definitely. How <laughs> <laughs> um, did I want to be? Oh my goodness, so many different things. Uh, I didn't know and I still don't. Um, uh, for a while I thought I wanted to be a policeman and then I actually went and uh, um, it's like auditioned. I went and interviewed for the police and uh, thankfully didn't get in. Um, I'm very pleased about that <laughs> now, at the time, not so much. Uh, then I decided at some point I wanted to be a flight attendant and I went and did that for 12 years. So, I mean, that was a lot of fun. When I was a kid, I more than anything, I wanted to be Spider-Man or Superman and that was probably never going to happen. So, um, no, it, it, there, there was no, no particular career ambitions. Uh, I didn't really know what I wanted. I drifted for the longest time. So I've been very lucky that I've just kind of fallen into things that have ended up being yeah. really good for me and a really good fit. Like being being a flight attendant for 12 years was a lot of fun for me. That, that been... sounds quite like Superman. You know, that you were, <laughs> you were fly. flying. Yeah. I got to fly. That was something. Um, yeah, but I mean, serving, serving people drinks and flinging meal trays at them at 35,000 feet, not that heroic, really. Yeah, but obviously something you enjoyed to stay in it that for that amount of time yeah I, I would say around 10 years of doing it I knew that I was kind of ready to go move on from it I, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't fulfilling some of my deeper needs um I knew I could have stayed there I could have stayed there forever and been content but I had these deeper wants of wanting to do coaching wanting to do public speaking and wanting to do more uh, to help people yeah. in the world that were not going to be fulfilled um through uh, getting on uh, a jumbo or an a380 every week yeah but i think there are there are transferable skills aren't there through, from, through everything we do i mean my background is acting i you know i i was an actor for for a blink of a second really but it's uh, for me i think the acting comes back to psychology liking people wanting to know what makes people tick the motivation uh, all of those things and actually everything it sounds like everything that you do is very is kind of similar you know that interest in people and you can't be yeah. flying from one country and looking after people without actually being interested anyone who's ever flown with British Airways can tell you that not everybody whose cabin crew is super happy and friendly right? <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason why a lot of people say that BA cabin crew look like horses you know so that's all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no I, I was generally pretty happy I, I loved I loved that job and I love people I love I love connecting with people and I've got lots of great stories from that time as well which like which I love to tell some of them suitable for broadcast and some of them not so suitable for broadcast but but you know, nonetheless a lot of stories but uh, yeah definitely i mean if, if anyone ever wants to know where the emergency exits are I, i'm your guy and yeah. um, <laughs> so i'm very good i'm very good at uh, all that but I, I used to do all the announcements i loved doing the announcements on the plane so that maybe is something that ties in with the speaking stuff and um, i always loved hobnobbing i used to work in first class a lot so i used to speak to a lot of uh celebrities and dignitaries and things like that and you just get used to speaking to people as people because they are yeah. they're people and so yeah i i think a lot of that's helped set me up for things in the future uh, a lot of the work i did then with um, personal development organizations and with harv aircraft that has set me up for everything that i do now so i yeah. i've been very very lucky in my in my progress yeah so what what was the transition though from flight attendant to the next step how did that work? So 
around, I'm trying to think what year it was, around, around 2000, 2000, 2001, uh, 2000, I discovered what life coaching was, and <laughs> I'd never heard of it before, uh, and I just thought, you know, I was interested in psychology, but I, I didn't really like psychoanalysis, and I didn't really want to become a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, so when I discovered coaching, that something that seemed very, very solution focused and uh, actually helping people, that was already kind of my uh, wheelhouse, if you like. I was already one of those people that often people will come to me with stuff that's going on to the, with them and talk about stuff. But I'm not the kind of person who just listens. I'm not a counsellor. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the person who I'll listen and then I'm going to say, well, what are you going to do about that? what's going to be the change here what's going to be different I know are you happy with that what are you going to do now um so I I I'm not just someone who just says well you know tell me tell me everything that's bad in your life right now and just dump that all on me and then go away with no solution feeling lighter for having shared it it's like there's a place for that but that's not how I work so coaching seemed to fit with how I naturally work which is like yeah come and tell me what's going on and tell me what's not working in your life right now but don't expect that you're going to get to go away from that without some kind of plan of action for what you do next and so learning how to do that in a more formal structure was was pretty cool for me and uh, it was um, I think you know, the year after that um, I was flying on September the 11th 2001 and uh, that was uh, an incident that woke me up to uh, not really wanting to be cabin crew forever as well and um, and so when um, when when it came a bit later on, I I spent those years afterwards learning, learning my craft and working in the personal development industry part time, coaching part time, whilst I was still flying around the world. And so when the opportunity came up to take a redundancy package from the airline, I thought to myself, well, I can either leave with nothing when I'm ready to go, or I can take this redundancy package now, leave with a financial buffer and with some travel perks and things as well. It just seemed too good to miss. So so I took my redundancy offer and decided to go for it. And uh, whilst my first, uh, whilst I kind of fell at the first hurdle with my first attempt at business, uh, I kept going, I kept going. I got I got over it um, eventually. <laughs> it nearly broke me the first time my, my stuff failed in my business, but I, I got past it and and I built back up again because I, yeah. I realised that quitting wasn't an option. But the the good thing from that ended up being that um, I now know that I can I can lose everything because I did. Uh, I can lose everything and still build up build back and build stronger from it. So I'm not afraid of losing everything anymore like I was. No. I think a lot of people operate with that huge fear of everything that could go wrong hanging over them. I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not saying I would want that or choose that for myself, but uh, I don't fear it because I know I'd survive it. And, and that's what I didn't know beforehand, that I could survive that and, and come back stronger for it. Yeah, no, I'm a great believer in uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, you know, that's that is one of those things that uh, people are kind of are scared of that. There's a there's a huge fear around that. And actually, it's not until you've been through something like that. I mean, even to be in the air on September the 11th must have just been something, as you say, a huge wake up call for you. Yeah, it was it was a surreal experience in many ways that we were halfway. My flight was halfway to San Diego when we got turned around and uh, yeah, and, and then we were actually got woken up. I was on crew rest, and we got we got woken up and told what had happened, and uh, we weren't allowed to tell the passengers because we didn't want any of them panicking. And um, but in in ended up with all sorts of things going on on the flight, and uh, you know, thankfully, as one of the we were one of the few flights that were able to actually land back into Gatwick, which not everyone was. Uh, after several diversions, we made it back to Gatwick on the same day, and my parents came and. And met me at the airport because they were worried, and yeah, um, yeah it was uh, it was definitely a wake up call. Of like, well, maybe this isn't maybe this isn't my forever <laughs> forever job. <laughs> so it wasn't yeah. like it made me want to leave the airline industry. It it just made me at least realize uh, that there was more to life, and that perhaps uh, I should explore those other areas a bit more. Yeah, is that where the uh, Stoic philosophy? comes in for you <laughs> yeah. no, that was, <laughs> tell, no, tell that me a little bit later. about what stoic philosophy is 
Okay, so most people, when they hear the word stoic, they tend to think it's all like emotionless and stiff upper lip kind of thing. It gets associated with, with Britishness or with, with Englishness, you know, um, the keep calm, carry on kind of mentality. That's not really what stoicism is. Stoicism uh, is it's one kind of stoicism, I guess, but stoicism in, in its philosophical form is a practice that came from the ancient Greek and Roman Stoics um, who really just had a very pragmatic approach to life and would work on accepting those things that are, are tough and challenging in life and preparing ourselves for them and working on moving away from this thing that uh, we call catastrophizing. I guess we kind of just referred to it a, a little while ago. Like We tend to imagine all the worst possible scenarios, the worst outcomes. Yeah. We tend to spend a lot of our time focused on everything that could go wrong in life or every, every uh, ailment or um, adversity that could affect us and be inflicted upon us. When often those things don't ever happen, we just spend more and more time worrying about them. But also sometimes when they do happen, we're not psychologically capable of dealing with them. We don't have the mental resilience, perhaps, to be able to uh, to cope with them a lot of the time. So we can end up having a, an emotional breakdown because we're not we, we don't have that capability built into us to be able to deal with the realities, the harsh realities of life. And one thing we, we all know about life, anyone who's alive knows that life can be hard. Life, life is tough and, and it's not easy to get through it. But if we don't at least try to um, give ourselves some psychological resilience, it's only going to be tougher when things do inevitably get challenging and get to a point where it, it, it's pushing the boundaries of your capacity to cope with challenge and change so that's a lot of what stoicism is about it sounds miserable right? but but it but it's not because there, there's a, a practice from the ancient stoics which i really love and, and it's it's called a negative visualization and most most life coaches will probably hate me for saying this but it's where you actually get people to visualize losing the people and the things in life that they love and care about and it sounds it sounds horrible. Uh, all my law of attraction friends out there will hate this. It's like, oh, you're going to attract all this negative stuff in your life. No, here's here's why. Because you're going to push through just just visualizing how awful that would be, uh, and push through it and really sit with it and get to a point where you start to process it in advance and you start to recognize how valuable those things are to you in your life now whilst accepting that everything you have in your life and everyone you have in your life, you included, is temporary. Everything is temporary. None of it is gonna be here forever. The only things we can promise and guarantee are change. Uh, you know, death and taxes, we know, we know yeah. the, those things are coming and we can't do a lot about them. Um, so what this is designed to do is to help us have that men mental preparation for not to plan for everything to go wrong or to lose everything, but to know that we would be able to get through it and that we appreciate and value the things, the good things in our life and the good people in our lives now whilst they are here so we don't get complacent and take them for granted. Now, other practices from the Stoics were things like going without something you love for a while. You know, like the Christian religion has a, uh, well, the Anglican or Church of England at least have the um, Lent, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you, you go for that period of Lent without something that you enjoy. That's the idea of it, I think. So the same kind of thing. Not to do anything other than to be able to resist that and to appreciate it more when you allow it back into your life. To know that you are not the servant of your desires, but that you can still enjoy them in your life and you can choose not to. You can choose to abstain from them for a while as well. And uh, again, it's good mental strengthening, mental conditioning. This is why some of the reasons why I love Stoicism. It's a very practical level of philosophy that doesn't require spirituality, but also doesn't, um, doesn't push against it either. So there are many spiritual stoics and there are many many atheist stoics as well uh, yeah. i'm one of the more atheistic stoics for sure uh, but uh, yeah so uh, and this is also something that perhaps um makes me a bit of an outlier in the personal development world there's not too many of us uh, non-spiritual atheists who are doing coaching and things like that so Oh, no, that's, that's so interesting. I um, One of my former podcast guests, it was a philosopher, is a philosopher called Tom Morris, uh, American. Brilliant. If you get a chance to listen to that one. Yeah, I'll fantastic. And, and, and he wrote a, a book called um, Plato's Lemonade Stand, 
that I that I read, which which was around that was it, you know, everything we all have to face change. And it and it is about that kind of moment in the sky on September the 11th, when suddenly you don't know what's coming next. And, you know, you, there's going to be a big, there's a big change coming. Um, and it is kind of dealing with that where, where your kind of your life almost flashes before your eyes, all those good things, all those people you love, all that sort of, you know, that, that sort of coming to the fore. And I, 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 exactly as you say, is kind of getting through that to kind of, you know, getting to that point where you can, you can deal with that. You can deal with that change. Yeah. I've always loved philosophy anyway, um, but I didn't really come into contact with Stoicism. And I think it was people like Tim Ferriss and Ryan Holiday who were really who really went about helping helping it to become a popular branch of philosophy again. Certainly, there were already people out there who were into it and teaching it. And um, Donald Robertson, who is uh, quite well known Stoic philosopher, has been a guest on my show. And uh, I really wanted him as a, I knew I wanted him as a guest on my show, but it was trying to find the right reasons and right things to talk to him about that would be a fit with the audience. And when he released his book, um, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, there's so much of that was really about about understanding gravitas and uh, Marcus Aurelius's journey into yeah. the world of becoming a speaker, an orator, understanding the difference between the sophists and the orators. And uh, he, he was someone who had the belief that if you're going to take to a stage and pub, do any kind of public speaking presentations, people should be changed as a result of it. It shouldn't just be to entertain them. It should be to transform them. And so people should be changed as a result of listening to you. Now, I tend to think we can have a bit of both. We can have a bit of entertainment and a bit of transformation as well. Um, but yeah, f fascinating. Uh, and so that particular episode was, for me, uh, a masterclass in <laughs> understanding things like gravitas and uh, and, and uh, the levels of thinking that it takes for that kind of leadership. And, and what an inspiration um, yeah. someone like Marcus Aurelius really was and still is yeah. in the world of leadership and, uh, and thought leadership particularly. Yeah, no, that's that is that's a, a name that has come up so often in the last year. I, I was never particularly uh, a philosopher before this, before lockdown, but certainly sort of, you know, with everything that's gone on over the last year to look yeah. back at what those guys were saying back then. It's it's been quite inspirational. Well, you know what? The um, Stoic philosophy is actually the, the basis for cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. Ah. Uh, and it is one of the most uh, effective behavioral change therapies that there is but Donald Robertson is one of the people who is involved in in the development of CBT and um, so when you think about it from those terms of um, how it really looks at how we approach things how we think about things and frame things in our lives that decatastrophizing things having a more rationalistic and uh, uh, reasonable approach to things it makes a lot of sense that it would be a very good grounding for something that actually helps people change their behaviors as well yeah Oh, fascinating. Well, it's been amazing talking to you, Johnny. I've really, really enjoyed it. I mean, going every, you know, everything from podcasting to philosophy. I mean, it's... I told you it could get deep at times, right? <laughs> <laughs> it can get profound at times. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no, absolutely. That's what it said it there. I should have known. I should have known. Oh, brilliant. Uh, well, I'm going to put up, uh, for those of you that are, are watching this podcast, I'm going to uh, show uh, Johnny. That's, I think that is the podcast, isn't it? That's the podcast link. Oh, I think that's the link the on my through my website. So uh, I think if ah. you use that link, it will take you to my website where you can listen to it there. But you know, if you want, if anyone wants to listen to my podcast, you can um, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere with podcast that that provides podcasts, and type in "speaking influence" and you'll find my show. Ah, well, that's I think. Let's see if I can. There, that's me. Speaking influence. That's <laughs> there. You go. That's me. See, stream Streamyard is good for for some things. <laughs> <laughs> It's great. It's a great platform. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and is there anywhere else people can contact you? I think I have um, your LinkedIn. No, that's LinkedIn. the website. People are definitely welcome to check out the website. You can take my quiz yeah. for to find out how persuasive you are. You can download my uh, my ebook for uh, how to make money out of podcasts without having your own podcast. Um, so that's all on the website. Website. But yeah, I absolutely encourage you to connect with me there, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm usually hanging out there at various points 
if you find me anywhere on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, those are the two I hang out on the most. And uh, so, which, which yesterday was, was good, right? Yesterday, that was very advantageous yeah. with everything else <laughs> shut down. Um, yes, yeah. fabulous. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really, really invaluable. I, I will go back. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back with my notebook and write lots of notes. Uh, oh, that, that means you. I've really delivered some value. So that's fantastic. Yes. That's what I'm all yes. about. You certainly have. For anybody into podcasting or philosophy, you have. It's been amazing. So thank you very much, Johnny. And I I look forward to seeing you on uh, on yours. Yeah, I look forward to switching roles when you come on my show, Jackie. It's it's been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed it. You're definitely definitely a great podcast host. Thank you. Well, thank you. You're a a great podcast host and guest. Many thanks to Johnny for joining me to share his journey and to chat all things podcast. There was so much useful information in there for me and anyone thinking about starting a podcast of their own. And if you do, should you monetize or not monetize? If you decide to, here are some of the ways according to Johnny that you can. Number one, buy a coffee. You can ask your audience to help with your cost for the price of a coffee. Number two, offer a membership. Your members then get rewards such as being part of the live audience or asking guests questions. Number three, use your podcast platform to advertise your own products and services. Four, collaborate with other podcast hosts to promote your podcast within theirs. This can work both ways as it does with Stefano and Andrew and myself. Number five, become part of an affiliate program. For example, if you recommend uh, an Amazon book or product, you get payment. But remember, if you are starting a podcast to make money, then you may be waiting a while. What were your takeaways from our conversation? Connect with me on LinkedIn or contact me through the website powertospeak.co.uk and let me know. And remember, if you, like all of us, are in the persuasion business and need inspiration or tips on the art of verbal communication, then tune in to Leaning Forward with our friend Andrew Thorpe. Find him where you find your podcasts or at andrewthorpe.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, then please leave a five star review on whichever platform you're on. And if you'd like to receive information about future guests or would like to know more about Power to Speak coaching, then sign up for our fortnightly newsletter at powertospeak.co.uk. Bye for now.